HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. So it's about almost the end of the year now, and uh, I know a lot of people are kind of thinking about summarizing the year and uh, looking ahead to the next. And there's a lot of uncertainty in this world, it seems. Um, there's a you know, new government coming in, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world of econ- uh, the economy, uh, maybe cybersecurity, uh, you know, and all host of other issues for the next year and four years and so forth. Um, so it's kind of nice sometimes to sit back and um, kind of see a broader picture of a world where all these things, um, you know, media, mass media, popular culture, um, government uh, issues, really um, um, it, it doesn't quite apply. Um, my guests today have traveled around the world to find the places that they describe are sort of the map's void spaces. And um, I feel like I was invited to really intimate gatherings throughout the world by reading this book that um, were just really special and um, places where there's a different uh, speed, there's a different pace, there's a different kind of simpler type of life. And I'm not sure simple is the right word anymore, but it is so enlightening. So I'm really, really excited to have my guest on um, to share this book. Uh, her name is Shane Mitchell. She is a James Beard finalist. Uh, she's a longtime food journalist and has written for Saveur, uh, Travel and Leisure, Vogue, Living, and Empire. And um, Shane's book is called Far Afield, Rare Food Encounters from Around the World. Hi, Shane. How are you? Hi, Kathy. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, thank you um, so much for taking me on a sort of meditative journey through food or through many different places through the lens of food. Um, this book is really special. It's a really rare book, and uh, I'm really glad to look through it. Oh, yeah, thanks. It's, a, it's been a passion project. Uh, it took almost 10 years to produce. 
Yeah. So just to get people acquainted a bit, um, you go through nine countries. Is that right? Or well, not nine countries, okay. but there are there are ten chapters, right? And and ten different places in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, some continents didn't uh, make the final cut, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're sort of implied in some of the, the chapters and the people that we've met along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people who inspired us to do this project as well. It is a really rare sort of glimpse into many different types of uh, lifestyles. And I, I just, I think, first of all, it's really impressive that you're able to get that up close and personal with so many different um, uh, types of folks out there in communities that are really off the grid. Um, just, it's just incredible. So you did this, it sounds like over the 10 years that, um, you know, you've been on assignments for various publications and as a side project, is that right? Um, it, it's, it, it, it sort of, took on a life of mm. its own eventually, and that's why 10 Speed Press was interested in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, this has sort of always been one of the things I like to do, uh, which is to explore culture. And the way I explore culture is through the lens of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, food, food is a, a, a gateway to understanding places in the world. Um, and there's no place in the world where you can't ask, what are you having for dinner, and not hope for an invitation to the table. Um, so that's, that's, that's one of the things I've always done. But this book goes a little further than that in the sense that this is also being in the field, so to speak, with people and observing how they... Um, gather their food yeah. or tend their food or, you know, how it gets to the table rather than just sitting down for a reservation. Mm-hmm. I, I should mention, you know, we, we kind of um, talk a lot here on this radio station about how the food industry has become so globalized and everything's from afar, but this book shows those communities that are really just gathering and foraging and fishing and producing and growing everything that they eat. And that's an amazing sort of uh, um, sort of lessons to learn, but also glimpses to, to to keep. Now, do you think that some of these ways of life are on the out, and we need to preserve at least um, sort of remember these these uh, lifestyles? Yeah, uh, some some of them are endangered. Um, a lot of that depends on um, the, the the geographic and socioeconomic pressures that certain cultures are feeling. Um, some of these ways of life are, are thriving, though, mm-hmm. as well. So it, it really just depends. Um, you know, for instance, the Maasai, who are in one of the chapters, uh, the, the way, their way of life is definitely being um, impacted by what's going on, uh, not just politically, but also um, from a climate standpoint. Yeah, I was, yeah. There's a big drought in Africa right now. Mm. So there, there's these ways of life that are being threatened simply by agri- um, you know, climate change that is not, um, not, not something that they've really done uh, anything to contribute to. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. No. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating 
sort of memorabilia here that you've gathered. And um, I, I just, um, yeah, I just want to point out that this book is so much more than just food. It's a many photog- uh, just beautiful photography by James Fisher, your collaborator. And uh, it's a lot of landscapes and, and just a lot of people like doing things, um, riding horseback, collecting things, uh, gathering for weddings. And um, it's not just, you know, food porn, but it's a lot of photographs and it's really stunning. So well, I, think that's, I thank you so much, Kathy. I think it's really important to understand the, the daily lives of people, because if you can relate to their life, it just expands your universe. That's, that's why we, we, we didn't do as much plating of food. <laughs> and we wanted to show how, how people really do what they do to eat their daily meal. Mm-hmm. This is really a departure for you, Shane. Um, you, you know, you've, you've written for many different magazines where they have lots of plated foods. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of your bread and butter. So this sounds like, was this a just a... A wild project that you felt like needed to be shared, and nobody else was doing it. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who document uh, food ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly, uh, and yes, some of the publications I work for show lots of plated food. But I have to say that my role at those publications is usually the the outlier. I'm mm. usually the one who's who's sailing around with Swahili fishermen or mm-hmm. climbing on horses with Icelandic shepherds. Um, so for me, it's not unusual. But this is, a, this is an invitation to, to really understand what I love about experiencing those kind of things. Right. Even if, even if you, you're not going to get out of your armchair and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, great way of exploring the world it is yeah it sort of seems like looking through this book is sort of like a deep dive into those types of journalism um out there it's almost like anthropology and that's what i was thinking as i was continuing to read this book it's um it's a lot about the people and the cultures which is you know shared through through many different um recipes too which are um they look very practical not like you know too esoteric or are difficult to produce in your own home, so that's a that's really cool that you're able to translate um, a lot of your stories through really tactical, usable recipes. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of people shared uh, meals with me and and photographer James Fisher while we were researching the book, and so some of them were really very simple meals mm-hmm. around, around a fire. Uh, you know, out in in the desert, or or grander grander meals at at weddings or birthday ceremonies, celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them have have interesting context too. Yes. I mean, for instance, people will maybe look in the Mexico chapter and say, "Oh, beans." Well, you know, I know how to cook beans. What's the big deal? Um, the importance is the relevance of that dish of beans at that time of year and why you have to have beans then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives a backstory, and not I, just a recipe. And it, it kind of like makes the world look a little bit smaller when you, when you gather all these recipes. Um, for instance, um, when you go to Peru to visit a potato farmer, um, there's, the recipes include, for instance, Papa's Frida's fried potatoes. Who doesn't love that? That's very universal sounding. And then you also have a recipe for beef stir-fry, 
and you provide some context about how um, Chinese contract laborers uh, were in Peru um, around the sugar boom of the 1800s. And so from that generation, we have a number of Chinese Peruvian restaurants. Right. Um, it's a it's Yeah. Chifa. And, yeah, it's the, the dish is lomo fatado. And it's, it's a marvelous dish because it's a total cultural mm-hmm. mashup. It is. And you wouldn't have it otherwise if, if, if um, you hadn't had this, this um, diaspora in, in, in South America of different cultures that have arrived with their own food. And they're still making them, which is that that's the that's one of the neatest parts is that, you know, this wave of laborers is over, um, but we still have Lomo um, Saltado with uh, even has like some fermented black bean paste, very typical Chinese or um, ingredient. And then it has potatoes and tomatoes. So and on top of that, rice as well. Oh, um, and and that's that's what I love. That's why it's such a mashup, um, and it's one of the most tasty dishes, and mm. it's very easy to make. Um, you know, the 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 the, the um, cultural exchange in South America is very similar in a lot of ways to the cultural exchange we have here in the U.S. You have to remember, you know, all the cultures who have sort of contributed to our own foodways here. Um, it, it's it's so diverse and so exciting and. You know, that's, that's why we have so many great, different, uh, unique things that are sort of uniquely American. Right, right. But also from another country. Right. And then um, there's other chapters where Iceland, for instance, is a little bit more isolated, the culture. So we have um, foods that have been enjoyed for I don't know how long. Maybe you'd know better, but um, it sounds like... These are some really traditional recipes that you're able to capture here um, that sound just just delightful and everyday. The roast lamb shoulder with uh, mushroom gravy and a farmhouse spice cake, fish chowder. Right. Uh, yeah. Chowder's one of my favorites. Just but mm-hmm. The Icelandic, it's interesting. I learned uh, during this chapter uh, that Iceland wasn't as isolated as we thought. I mean, there was a big trade between the Portuguese and Iceland in the Middle Ages mm. oh, um, wow. and the later Middle Ages, and, and the introduction of spice to Iceland is actually quite old. Mm. Um, so where, where they, the use of cinnamon and nutmeg were things that the right. Icelandic were very familiar with. But somebody there shared... And a really lovely recipe for rhubarb prune jam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the two things, rhubarbs, uh, rhubarb and prunes, don't, you know, some people go, oh, well, that's not so exciting. <laughs> it took an Icelandic housewife explaining to me that you have to remember, Shane, prunes are rare here. They're a treat for us. Mm. And that's why putting prunes in this recipe makes it a special recipe. And, you know, you just have to get your head around those sort of mm. things. The, the prunes are the specialty here. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. it does sound like a great sort of um, that's a little bit more um, concentrated and sweet. And um, and then with the contrast of the tart tartness of the rhubarb sounds like a delightful uh, it's jam. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's it, it's very good as sort of almost like a chutney. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's why they serve it with lamb for for dinner. Fascinating. 
Um, there's so many great stories, and I'd love to hear more of your favorites and other highlights. Um, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, though, and be right back with you. chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table and serving produce that comes from local environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth so when shopping for your ingredients look for the new york state grown and certified seal it lets you know which food is grown right right here in new york state certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard you'll not only be serving local food you'll be supporting local farmers Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. All right, we're back chatting more with Shane Mitchell. She, uh, she's the author of Far Afield, Rare Food Encounters from Around the World. We're talking a little bit about some of the places she's traveled um, to share stories about uh, gatherings that she shared and broke, broke bread with, um, with people there. So uh, one of the um, interesting journeys that you took, they're all interesting, but um, it seems like a, a definitely uh, a relevant and a, and a sort of fleeting uh, Village and uh, is uh, Hamada, a refugee village in the jungle of, or it's called the jungle of, in Calais, France. So <laughs> most might not think that the food served in a refugee camp is very glamorous, but <laughs> you make it sound and uh, it looks from the from the photographs um, really vibrant and really exciting, and uh, it seems like everyone's really having a great time enjoying this food together. Tell us a little bit about this trip. Okay. Well, uh, the jungle, uh, which is, is one of the refugee camps, one of the most notorious refugee camps in Europe, recently closed. Uh, the French government uh, dispersed everyone. Right. It was an illegal camp, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but the point was, the, the point of, of going in there was to understand what our community is about. and. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the people who were far afield in, in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know what it's like for someone who's far from home uh, to, to be able to cook something that brings back memories of home and uh, went into uh, the jungle to ask people expressly, what is it that you miss? when you're this far from home. And the Sudanese community in the jungle uh, invited me to cook with them and basically said, here are some of the dishes that we use to welcome people or we use to celebrate um, when a loved one is with us. And for me, that was a very important lesson, um, especially because it's, it's a pretty grim community. It really is very rough situation and so for me it was one of the best lessons I've had recently in in the true definition of hospitality 
Yeah. They shared and um, shared these stories and let you into this community. It's um, and it's now, which is now sort of gone. Um, it's great to document that. And the recipes do sound delicious. <laughs> well, they are. They're wonderful. They're, this is this is food from um, the Horn eating. of Africa, mm-hmm. and it's 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 also from the Middle East as well. Um, some of the dishes that they cook um, in those areas were represented in this chapter. Um, so that was that was a real privilege, and I'm I'm happy to say some of the people that I met in the jungle um, refugee camp have now found asylum. Mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with That's them. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's really impressive, some of these dishes. I, I know, you know, to get off topic a little bit, a lot of people complain about their small New York City kitchens and how they can't cook in them, but these uh, these dishes they're making uh, should hopefully inspire many people to make something delicious at their home. Uh, yeah, there's the lamb stew mm-hmm. from um, the jungle was really wonderful. It's it's a very old traditional Sudanese dish, mm-hmm. and um, it's very easy to make. And the one of the surprising elements, one of the ingredients that I was really surprised about was the use of peanut butter. Yes, yeah, that sounds delightful. And and I thought it was really interesting that um, back in the country, um, the home country in Sudan. Um, the um, the cook that you were speaking with would have normally prepared the stew using dried lamb jerky, um, so that that's reconstituted. And uh, and here in the jungle, she was able to find fresh minced lamb for for the dish. Well, that was that was me. I I went to the oh, grocery store and got go. it for her. <laughs> but but dried dried lamb, you know, it, you have to remember that um, in in certain rural parts. Of Africa, there's no refrigeration. Oh, yeah. So dried dried meat, jerky, biltong, um, sausages are, are are fairly common um, because it, it's more sanitary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why the original recipe would be using dried dried meat. Um, what surprised you the most, Shane? I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to ask that because I feel like nothing can surprise you anymore after traveling so much as you have. But what, what was something that really stuck, sticks out in your memory? Oh, my goodness. Um, what surprises me? Bad food surprises me. Um, every now and then you do wind up having a really wretched meal out on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, think, I think the important thing for me that, that surprised me was just how many people uh, sort of opened their lives to me and, and just invited me in, and um, I, I, I really was surprised by that, um, you know, the, just the welcome, very few people turned me away, even in the remotest parts of the world. That's incredible, um, yeah. So it's, it's not that hard to just go out there and, and um, document um, and uh, get some what seems like very rare access, and and you mentioned you're in touch with some of these people, still. Mm-hmm. And oh, yes. uh, have they seen the book? <laughs> have many of them? Uh, some of them have. Um, some of the refugees in the um, uh, uh, chapter on Calais are mm-hmm. now in the, in England, um, and we've sent them copies of the oh, book. Cool. Sent copies of the book to Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, to my friends in Waipio Valley. 
Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, in fact, uh, the young girl who's in the Icelandic chapter, Lilia uh, Sigurgesson's daughter, um, she was just here in New York, so I was able to send her home with a bunch of copies. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that you, there was a, many different potential chapters that you discarded, and I'm curious if there's any that... Um, um, you're going to do something with any of those or come up with a sequel? or? Um... Uh, we're working on something. There's, there's, there were some places in the world I really wanted to have Australia in this book. Mm-hmm. And, and Australia is sort of, uh, sort of back there in behind the scenes um, always because James Fisher, the photographer, right. He's all these beautiful photos. He's Australian. Okay. And that's how we first met and started collaborating, was in Australia. Um, but the chapter was very difficult to produce, and so we oh. decided to hold it for a, a, another special um, time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there are, there are definitely places that just, for whatever reason, didn't quite make it or were... It just didn't work with the storylines that we mm. wanted to present. Um, but we've, we've, we've been a lot of other places, and so there will be more to come. Yeah. And is there any unifying theme you're trying to capture with the, the choices of the places that you went to um, to try to sort of tighten it out? I know that you yeah. can't add anything, everything, because it would just go on forever. But what, what were you hoping to get from your selection? Well, each, each, each of these stories really focuses on rituals where hospitality mm-hmm. plays a key role, yeah. um, whether it was a wedding feast or a luau or, or having tea with refugees. Um, you know, so, so it was always these celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, that, 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 I think, is the, the thread through the book that you'll find. Each, each of these narratives tells that kind of story over and over in its own way. Right. And that's perfect timing because we're looking forward to the holidays and gathering with our families and having hopefully some delicious feasts. It's a really inspiring sort of uh, story to share. Yeah, definitely. Being welcomed to a table is yes. very important. And it's important to welcome others. And, and wh- you know, whether you have a passport and can, can get on a plane or if, you know, it's Walking into a little grocery store that you've never thought about walking into instead of going into your supermarket. It's, it's a way of expanding you know, your understanding of the world. And I think that's an important message for this time of year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exploring that through food is um, just a delightful way to do so. And who can resist that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, true, uh, I would love to um, make some of your recipes over the holidays myself. So thank you for the inspiration. Um, I guess that's about all the time we have for today, Shane. But thank you so much for sharing this story again. And I look forward to further projects from your travels as well. Great, Kathy. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And everyone check out Far Afield, just out from 10 Speed this fall. And uh, thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.